Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. We know that running a small firm is tough and ending the year with a profit may be even tougher. That's why we created Profit for Small Firm Architects. It's a three-module digital course and it's available to you for free right now by visiting entrearchitect.com slash free course. Entree Architect Podcast, episode 133. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm whether you're in the process of launching a startup or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Just try. Do you have an idea for a new product or a new service or maybe a new business? You know, today with all the tools available to us and so many of them completely free, you no longer have an excuse. If it's something that you really want and the only thing standing in your way is fear, just try and see what happens. On this episode, I'm chatting with someone who's been doing that since architecture grad school. He discovered a need for himself, didn't find the solution, and decided to create that solution for himself. Over and over again, he decided to try. We spoke about how he started his many companies, how he's managing each project, and the tools that he's using to communicate with his virtual teams. This week on Entree Architect Podcast, Robert Yoon 
co-founder of SectionCut.com and the new Monograph.io, shares his thoughts on the power of trying. This episode of the Entree Architect podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time. Learn more at freshbooks.com slash architect. Robert Yoon, welcome to Entree Architect podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great having you here. You are the, the man or one of the men behind sectioncut.com uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and many other things which we're going to get into. Um, but before we get into any of that stuff, I want to know, like I do on every episode with a guest, I'd love to know your origin story. I'd like to, to sort of take us back to where you discovered architecture and what inspired you to, to take that course uh, and tell us that journey from, from that point to where you find yourself today. Sure. Um, it's, it's going, it's kind of a typical architect story. Like, um, my parents are immigrants from, from China. I'm born and raised in Chicago. Uh, so we're, we were fairly poor, um, growing up. So one of the, one of the only toys that I remember playing with was Legos. Um, so I've always, always imagined building things. Um, so I've always had a passion of creating or, or imagining worlds, um, and playing with Legos. Uh, that, I think that's kind of where, where my passion to, to build things started. Um, then uh, when I was in high school, I, I took drafting classes and architectural classes um, and competed uh, citywide and did, did quite well. Um, I still keep in touch with the same teacher now and essentially posed him a question. It was like, what do I do uh, for undergrad? Like, do I become an engineer? Do I become an architect? Um, and he, he really steered me in the path of, you know, why not try architecture? Um, because he knew I had a passion in design, um, and architecture might let me flex some of those abilities. Um, do you think, do you think being in Chicago, um, had any influence on, on that decision as well? So, I mean, Lego certainly is an early inspiration, uh, but Chicago is all about architecture. Um, did you even acknowledge that when you were living there? I don't know if you when you're living there, you even realize that. Yeah. I think when you're living there, you don't, you don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like inherent to your surroundings. Like it's, I went on so many tours as uh, in grade school and high school. Um, it was just kind of like always around me. Um, it's not till a little bit later in life that I realized, Oh, I, I really have a passion for, for this, for this industry and for this practice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, go on. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, I love the idea of, uh, of, of being in Chicago. And I was thinking, you know, when you're there and you're growing up there, you probably don't realize what's all around you. It's because, you know, you're probably not, you don't realize that until later you grow up and you say, well, look around, you know, I'm in the world of architecture here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that becomes a very important trait that we can talk, we can touch upon later is how, how often does a person, uh, self-reflect on, on their, under current situation. Um, but I, I went to a local college. I went to University of Illinois, Chicago. Um, I did quite well and won a traveling fellowship, uh, my, my last studio. So then I spent one year backpacking around the world and I think I've bet, you know, went to 20, 20 plus different countries. Uh, and then I came back and worked small, small high end residential for about a year and a half for the same professor who, who ran that studio uh, before 
deciding that it was time to go to grad school um, at the University of Michigan. Um, there, I really, I really started to figure out what type of architect I wanted to be or what things were of specific interest. Um, and they were very heavily on the technology side. I did a lot of scripting, a lot of grasshopper, um, a lot of digital fabrication, um, so much to the point where I end up taking another another postgraduate degree, a master's of science in digital technologies, where I focused on robotics, uh, digital fabrication, and scanning. Uh, since then, I, I worked at SOM briefly in Chicago before relocating to San Francisco, um, and then worked across an array of small, high-end residential firms to uh, Blue Homes, which is a prefab company, um, to my last employment recently, uh, a design-build uh, company. And and so, where are you? What are you doing now? Now, starting January of this year, I went full time uh, doing doing many of my projects now, uh, which which I've categorized most of them with working with Dixon and Mo. So you're a full time entrepreneur at this point. Full time. Yeah. So so let's uh, let's start with Dixon and Mo. What, so is that the first one you did when you when you left architecture? Is that where you is that where you landed? Um. Not Dixon and Mo really gave me an opportunity to work on it full time. Um, Section Cut started about three years ago, uh, immediately after Michigan. It was a it was a passion project. Um, it was me realizing that I know what the landscape of architecture was outside of school, um, and I knew what it was inside of school, and I kind of wanted some type of remembrance of of that experience. Uh, one the exposure to to the, to the resources, to the knowledge base, to the conversations, um, aren't quite the same when you're outside of academia and you're in practice. So Section Code was really meant as a portal, as a platform, uh, a bookmarking tool for, for a collective of, of designers and architects to share resources and share what's going on currently or trending in, in today's practice. Yeah, um, I, I, love, I love that concept. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar to my mission of sort of, you know, learning as much as you can and sharing what you know. And you, right. it, it's pretty much the same, the same mission done in a very different way. Uh, and I love the, the way you do it. Um, what was the inspiration for that? I mean, how did that idea come about? Uh, like I said, like I knew before going back to school that that didn't exist. So it was me essentially first trying to do that for myself. Um, how can I most effectively save the things that are valuable to me um, and that I can easily find later on? Um, bookmarks was it's always and still is an uh, incredibly tough way to find information. Um, so creating a simple website to bookmark resources for myself uh, became, I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in between. I'm working on my portfolio. I haven't landed a job yet. Um, let's work on this on the side when I'm not, I'm not interviewing and what and who's the audience now for section cut it's still primarily students um we we really focus uh at the architectural student sector uh, we feel like they're the most uh, engaging and probably can benefit the most from from this exchange yeah i that and that's a huge um change from my generation mm -hmm. um you know, the idea of the current generation 
uh, learning what they know and sharing it. And, it. and it's sort of part of who they are is this interchange of information uh, and the sharing, you know, and the, the, the sharing um, technologies that are in, through all throughout the Internet. Um, in my generation and older, uh, I'm 46. And so I graduated in the early 90s. Um, it was all about, you know, learning what you know and keeping it and hiding it. You know, and and you know, executing on it and not letting anybody know your secrets, and I think that that was a, a major detriment to the profession. Uh, I think as we share our knowledge, we grow, and the whole profession grows. I, I completely agree. I think I think it completely slowed down the the progressiveness of the industry and how how fast we're evolving and our uh, how well we receive new technology. Um, so hopefully, the next the next ten years are better. Um, because it, it is a mindset that has a long trickling effect. Um, like you said, everyone that's about, you know, in their, in their forties and, and up, um, they're now principals and they're now senior management and they carry that same thought, uh, for the most case. I'm uh, trying to change that. <laughs> that's my mission. We, we need more of you, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're getting there. We're getting there. I, I, I've just from the, from the time that we've been out there, um, I've seen, I'm starting to see the change and I know it's not just me. It's sort mm -hmm. of, it's sort of everybody. It's you and me and, and many other people doing similar things, trying, trying to get that message out there that it's important to share what we know. Absolutely. So, so where did Dixon and Mo your agency happen? How did that happen? And where in the timeline did that happen? Uh, so, so it's funny how everything is kind of interconnected, um, about, a year ago, um, Section Kelp grew to a certain point where we were ready for an upgrade. Um, we were on WordPress for a long time, uh, and it just wasn't, it was slow, and, and we were growing too fast and outpacing the technology. Um, I, I, at the same time, Section Kelp was also invited to the robotics conference in Michigan uh, related to architecture. So we went back and did a media coverage uh, where I met a mutual friend to Alex and Mo who at the time were freelancers here in San Francisco. Um, so shortly right, right when I got back, I met them and I hired them to, to build a new section cut that you see now. Um, since then, back and forth conversations, there were freelancers like talking about our passion, talking about our interests. Um, so why not, why not be more uh, legitimate? Why not stop being freelancers and let's let's try out a an agency model uh, and, and what does what is what does uh dixon and mo do as an so agency we, we provide uh design and software consultancy to big tech firms so any um, kind of design or is it purely tech design it's purely tech design okay uh, which is very suited for where, where we live now in san yeah. francisco uh, we provide uh, aid and technology support for a lot of up and coming uh, startups here and, and big big technology companies here as well. So you're injecting design into websites and apps and other online platforms. Is that essentially the bulk of what you're doing? Correct, correct. And it's, it's really interesting. Both my partners also have degrees in architecture. They received their masters of architecture from MIT, um, had, had a startup idea called Monograph, uh, worked on it immediately after grad school, um, the project kind of fell, fell short a little bit towards the end. And then they went into freelance mode. And you just, you mentioned, uh, monograph. And so is, is that, 
that's one of the other things you're working on, right? Yes. Um, and so that's a third project. And that, so that came with your co-founders at Dixon and Mo. Uh, the idea of that in this beginning of that uh, is starting to mature and is, is, is being uh, introduced to the world of architecture. Can you want to explain what that is? Sure. Originally, it was a it was more of a blogging platform for makers. Um, where it fell short, and what what I start to bring to the table is really to critique the project a little bit more. And like, um, I think this goes back to your previous episodes of understanding what a business plan is, um, and developing the systems of how a project might be monetized. Um, so, so Monograph was essentially reborn uh, this year to be a portfolio builder for architects. Uh, we've done a number of websites for big and small companies across the board. Uh, also was a couple of very well-known architects as well. Stanley Sadowitz here in San Francisco um, and KVA in Boston. Um, so ideally, this, this is the platform where we can have a culmination of our skills and our knowledge in the web space and develop a platform for architects to, to better utilize, to make better websites. Very simple drag and drop system. So it so it's a it's a website platform for architects, and it's based on on building it around the portfolio. Is that is that the the idea behind it? Correct, correct. And it's like trying to understand or help architects understand what is a better website and the value of a website that it can bring. Um, so we're really excited uh, to really to be one of the only players that are very focused on the architectural community. We're not, we're not Squarespace, we're not Wix. Um, our technology is very home to particularly how architects need um, and how their portfolio websites need to run. Can you get into that a little bit? What makes you different than Squarespace and, and Wix? What, what are the things that architects need to be doing that Monograph is allowing them to do? Sure, I, I think we, should, we can back up a little bit yeah. and say like, what do architects really want out of a website? Um, Nine out of ten, or ten out of ten architects want to be found. Um, it is their it is their digital identity. Where Squarespace and Wix lacks a little bit uh, because they're so broad, their metadata and their SEO isn't optimized. Mm -hmm. This is where Monograph becomes very useful because we're going to be so focused, um, and we're we're particularly targeting architects as our um, as a target audience. We can design our SEO uh, algorithms. We can design the technology that's around it to be very honed and focused there to allow an architect of a particular region of a particular type of work to be found easily, easier, which is a huge advantage to, to a local architect. So once you're, once you're found, are there ways of, of connecting as well that once somebody lands on that site and the SEO works and the metadata works and, and, your market finds that site. Uh, are there uh, are there features on your site that sort of allows you to very quickly connect with with the, that market? Absolutely. I, like we've we've done a lot of marketing pages. Uh, we've we've figured out how to best uh, get a return on on the visitors that come by, um, and how to walk through that system of getting that visitor to writing you an email. In terms of specific features, that's a more large, larger uh, plan for Monograph. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the simple things that might be rolling out very soon after we launch Monograph is essentially a, a RFP plugin. Um, knowing from our experience, 
and from from a client-based industry, you write a lot of proposals. Um, where where can technology help? Ideally, if it's behind a behind a website builder, then the the need to use InDesign becomes less relevant. You should be able to drag and drop projects in and quickly print a PDF um, and have have a proposal done within five minutes versus half an hour or an hour. Um, and there will be a lot of other features that deals with project management, uh, time management, staff management, um, accounting plugins. These are all things that we're trying to think of as we design Monograph as it grows into a platform that's more encompassing. Where websites really, the website side is really the first, first two years of the project. Yeah, I, I think it's very important for architects because I think the majority of architects' websites, that, that's sort of the thing that's missing is that, is that uh, low friction connection, that communication uh, mm-hmm. tool to the, to, the, um, to, the, to the market. That, you know, we all want the pretty pictures and we want a beautiful site and we get, you know, a lot of people to, or maybe if you're lucky and if you have your SEO right, uh, you mm-hmm. might get your people to find you, but then there's no way to connect with them. You know, you have to search for the, the about page or the contact page and find the link that says email and hit that and send an email. And I think that that low friction, easy way to either get them on an email list or get them uh, to contact you uh, is a really critical part of, uh, of websites that most architects are missing. Yeah, I, I would look at it from a different perspective too. Most architects still, I think, might not change for a while is their number one lead source is word of mouth referrals. Um, your website is your digital representation before that first phone call or right after that first phone call. Um, and it's really important to best present yourself, knowing that most architects' websites have not been updated or not very well well done. Um, it's, it's, could, you could be losing clients that you don't even know um, because of how your website's presented or how you present yourself digitally. Yeah, I totally agree. I've been I've been saying for more than a decade that if you're not on the internet as an architect, you're invisible. Right. You just don't exist. Because even if they know about you, they're still googling you. And if you're not there, they're going to the next to the next name. Uh, we, we we know architecture is a profession that uh our clients are usually well off. They they can afford an architect, so they're they're smart people. They want to do their research. They want to look you up uh before and after those conversations. So it's really important how well you present yourself. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to FreshBooks for their support as a platform sponsor of Entree Architect. Because as a platform sponsor, FreshBooks has provided funding and support for our overall mission here at Entree Architect. They recognize the need for small firms like us to build better businesses in order to be better architects. FreshBooks is the easy to use accounting software designed to help us small firm owners get organized, save time, and get paid faster. It takes care of invoicing, expense tracking, estimating, reporting, and it all happens out on the cloud so you have access to your information from anywhere that you have access to the internet. And I use FreshBooks for my own small firm, FiveCat Studio, and my favorite feature of the FreshBooks software is sending my invoices by email and allowing my clients to pay by credit card. When FreshBooks says that you'll get paid faster, they're not kidding. With the convenience of clicking a button and paying by credit card, many of my clients pay now as soon as they receive their invoice. And for those clients who don't pay right away, FreshBooks automatically sends them a reminder of the balance due at an interval that I set 
So once I send an invoice, I can go back to being an architect and I don't need to chase down any of my clients. And Tim Lee of FreshBooks will show you how easy it is to send invoices by email on our exclusive video series, Tim and I produced exclusively for the Entree Architect community. Check out this free video series at entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks video. There's no catch, there's no email, it's completely free. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks video and you will get the videos right away. There's three of them, shows you everything you need to know about getting started. And then go to freshbooks.com slash architect, freshbooks.com slash architect and sign up for your free 30 day trial and give it a try, it's free. I suggest you just send one invoice and see what happens. That's how I got started. Just send one invoice to one client and see how it works. And when I did that and I got paid much faster than usual, I signed up for the rest of it and I set up my whole my whole account in FreshBooks. FreshBooks.com slash architect for your free 30-day trial. And be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's, I'm keeping count here, Robert. This is three. So we have we have sectioncut.com. Yes. We have we have uh, Dixon and Mo and Monograph, and so, but there's a there's a fourth one in there as well, right? There's another project you're doing. Uh, they, so talk about your fourth project. So the fir- fourth project is called Big Fluffy, um, and essentially it was an idea of it was it's kind of like Dropbox but for computers. Um. So during my earlier days in the in the industry, I did a lot of renderings, a lot of three heavy three D modeling, um, and it was it was very very computer intensive uh, workload, um, and very time consuming. I would say a lot of the time was also not not me actually working. It was me waiting for the computer to produce the three D model or or the three D rendering, uh, just waiting until I can figure out if it's if it's exactly what I want before I continue to iterate on the project. So the idea came I was like, well why why does my computer have to physically be here? Um, why can't it not be a computer that's on on the World Wide Web um, and I can access it whenever I want, uh, turn on a rendering, and then continue working on my own local machine so it doesn't slow me down. Um, I think for for a couple of small practices, the small firms I worked in, that was a huge um, misuse of time. Where you know, if, if I'm working on a couple projects, one might be an SD, and I'm doing a couple of renderings. It's very hard for me to switch to CDs on another project because my computer is already very slow. Yeah, um, I'm limited to only probably writing emails and answering RF, RFIs. Um, so I became very inefficient in. in working on multiple projects. So Big Fluffy is really a, an idea to help solve that particular problem um, where you ha- can have access to your machine, um, another machine that you can, you can rent per hour on the web. And you can rent as many as you need um, and you can increase or decrease your computing power uh, to speed up whatever you're doing. Uh, very, it's, it's a very different concept than let's say a, a submitting to a render farm because when you do that, you don't see the project, and you, you, can't, you can't give the file away, and you hope that it comes back correct. Uh, this essentially gives you the power of a render farm, uh, but you're, it's another working machine. You can work on it just like how you would work on your own, your own personal computer. And it's accessed through a browser? How is it accessed? Correct. correct. Through a browser. 
So, mm-hmm. so you basically, you can set up, set it up like Dropbox and, um, start rendering on that and then go back to your local machine and, and get some work done. Correct. Um, and rendering is just the easiest kind of like low hanging fruit. Um, I have a couple very small, uh, clients that, that are testing the product for me. Um, they, and they use it for, for 3d modeling too. Um, they use it for client presentations. If you have an extremely heavy model that you want to spin, that might not, might not be enough on a small laptop or an iPad. Um, this solution essentially allows you access to a computer on any device as long as you have internet. Yeah. So this month we're talking about management here at Entree Architect. And so you have four major full-time projects going. Um, how, you know, let's talk about the management of all that. You're, you're one guy and you, and you have some co-founders in, in some of these uh, practices uh, or these projects. So, so how are you doing this sort of as a broad picture, big picture uh, question, how, how are you getting all this done? Um, the, the, bro- the easiest answer is they're not all going on at the same time. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then the second answer is you, I value my co-founders and my partners heavily. Um, actually, I do not believe in starting businesses solo. Um, there's just there's so many moving parts. Um, I would never advise anyone to start businesses uh, by themselves. It's, it's incredibly hard. Um, you need you need to lean on your partners and you need that trust and that team uh, to to get the project off the ground. Do you think that goes for architects as well? Architecture firms. Do you think um, firms that start as partnerships rather than solo? you know, solo, uh, practitioners, you know, there's a better likelihood that they'll succeed as partners. I think so. And it, it, and this also weighs heavily on who those, who those partners are. Right. Obviously. Um, but yes, I think, I think a very, very typical, uh, two person firm structure might be one is the design principal and one is the more business savvy. Um, and they can lean on each other understanding that each to their own, their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, I think that that is huge versus you trying to start your own firm and you know uh, a particular skill set that you lack. Um, you'll just you'll grow slower um, and you'll make more mistakes down uh, as you start. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, my wife Anne Marie is an architect and she's my partner. We started Five Cat Studio together, and she is the design partner. She is the architect end of the business, and I'm the business guy. And mm-hmm. I could not imagine doing it without her i couldn't we would never succeed to the level that we have uh without without her skills and she would have never succeeded to to the level that we've succeeded without my business skills and so um and i could not imagine doing them both you know it's just right. there's just too many hats uh, and there's a lot of architects out there who are and some are succeeding and some are not um but i i uh i think that's a really wise observation that that uh, there's a reason why you want to find good co-founders when you create these big projects that you're doing, whether it's an architecture firm or a, uh, an agency. Right. So, so, so are you, so you're, so you're relying on partners and, and co-founders to sort of pick up the things that, that you're, you're not as skilled at and you're doing the things that you're skilled at, but that's still, still a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, irons in the fire. Um, are, do you, with these, with these, Projects? Do you have teams working with them too? Be, beyond that, do you have employees in these different projects? Uh, yes. So for Section Cut, we do have a uh, 
a virtual assistant, uh, Michelle. She's incredible. Um, I would I would at any heartbeat advise always to when you're ready to to have an assistant. Um, it okay. takes a lot of the that minute day to day things that are are very time consuming um, off of a a partner's uh, shoulders. Explain the concept of virtual assistant because you said it was a virtual assistant. Sure. Section cut is a virtual practice. Um, So a virtual assistant is essentially an assistant that's not mm, physically right next to me. Uh, She's based in Texas. Uh, One of my partner, actually all my partners have uh, an interest and a role in academia. John Sturt is a a faculty at the University of Michigan. Uh, Kyle Sturgeon is a director at the Boston Architectural College. Um, and Dan Wiseman teaches at Harvard uh, and is a lighting designer at LAM. Uh, and I'm, I'm based in San Francisco. So Section Cut is a virtual practice. So there's no, there's no physical office somewhere with a Section Cut sign on the door. It's all, it's all on the Internet. It's all on the Internet. Yeah. Yep. Uh, just, just like Entree Architect. We're not quite as big as you, but, but that's the same idea, is that our team is slowly growing and it's all virtual. Yeah. Um, and I think when, when I first decided to take on partners, I think a few months after I started the idea, it was like really trying to figure out who, who will be the best fit and what kind of skill sets I, I needed, knowing that this is probably a, a more of a hobby, passion project uh, at the time, and, and who can I continue to keep relationships with uh, shortly after graduate school. Um, John is, is an amazing creative director. Um, he, he oversees all creative work and copy and branding on Section Cut. Uh, Dan is essentially my, my, my second wingman. We both run the technology side of, of the platform. Um, and Kyle is, is super vital. Um, he, he has an administrative take on, on the project. He is an administrator in academia. Uh, and he provides a lot of the, he opens a lot of the doors in, in that space. That's interesting. Are there are there uh, any other any other team members other than the virtual assistant? No, section okay. codes run five five so people. Very lean and mean. Very lean and mean. You got it. Yeah, yeah. And so, but um, you know, my architecture firm is also a virtual firm, and so mm-hmm. I, I my staff is remote. My I have a ten year long project manager who used to be in the studio with us, who's now working from his own studio. Um, and our staff, as we need them, are actually independent contractors that come and go as we need them. Um, and so architects are doing that as well. And I think that's becoming much more popular and, and, and is a trend in architecture. I think many startups will start as virtual firms. Um, what are some of the tools that you're using? Because that's critical in, mm-hmm. in virtual uh, practices of any sort, um, is that communication tool and those project management tools are you using anything specific to to keep these the communication lines working? And and what what uh, what do you like and what don't you like? Um, we're we're very heavy Slack users. Um, we're we're on Slack all the time. We've essentially not used email at all in terms of in, inner team communication. Um, and we do we do a lot of video video conferencing. Um, I think how how we've been able to keep trucking along thus far is we're very disciplined. Um, I, I think and think that's very vital for virtual practice because you're not right next to each other. Um, you need to be more disciplined in how you work uh, and how, and when and how you communicate. So we have uh, weekly meetings 
every week, same time, uh, regardless if there's issues or not. Um, this way that there's always routine and there's it's always structured. And that's video conference. What are you what are you using for video? We use a, a website called Appearin. Appear dot in. Appear in. Yep. Okay. Appear dot in. Okay. Um, and that's and that's like a go to meeting or a Zoom is similar. Similar, but it's the the benefits is there's no you don't have to be a user. You don't have to create an account, which makes uh, our team communications really easy. Just we just need the right URL uh, and you get started. Um, and it's also really flexible when you're having uh, conferences like uh, with a client um, and they don't need a, a Google account. They don't need a Skype account. Um, they just need the URL. That's interesting. I know you've, you've mentioned that to me before and I still have not yet looked at it, um, but I'm going to. I think that that sounds very interesting. I mean, it's, so there's so you don't have to sign up or anything. You just just go to a peer dot in and use it. Right. Absolutely. OK. Yeah, well, that's that's a great tool, and I think the discipline that you mentioned is extremely important um, for both of my companies, Entree Architect and Five Cat Studio. Uh, that weekly meeting, or biweekly in some cases, uh, is is critical. You know, that's how you do it in a virtual firm. If you don't do that on a regular basis at the same time, whether or not you have a, a you know something specific to talk about or a crisis to solve, um, that weekly check in is really really important. Uh, because you discover things that you don't even realize are there uh, mm -hmm. when you have those meetings. Just like when you're in an office, you have that weekly staff meeting to keep things moving in the right direction. Uh, it's very easy to let those slide because you're no longer seeing these people on a, on a, on a daily basis unless you uh, uh, intentionally set those parameters up. Yeah, completely agree. The, I think the project would have fizzled away if we weren't, if we weren't disciplined. Um, because it is so easy to let's let's skip a meeting, let's not do this. Um, uh, one leads to two, two leads to three, and then all of a sudden we're not <laughs> we're not talking anymore. Yeah, yeah, and bad things happen when that happens, <laughs> and then suddenly it becomes crisis, and then you know you're you're back on the video trying to solve crises instead of you know growing. And Slack is a great tool. I'm on Slack for everything I'm doing. I actually have I actually have four Slack teams. I have a Slack team for my architecture firm, for Entree Architect, uh, for my partnership with CVG, uh, Charette mm -hmm. Venture Group, our investors. Um, and I have one personal for my family. I have the LePage family <laughs> Slack channel that, or Slack team that I have my kids win it because they have a bunch of projects going on too. And right. It's a great way for us to document the projects uh, and communicate on a regular basis instead of emailing or, or texting one another. We can Slack one another. So it works really well for that as well. Yeah. Right. I'm a strong supporter and the same. I have, I have a Slack channel for, for every project that I'm working on. Um, and I treat every project that I'm working on more like projects, um, even though they are, they are companies. Um, but mentally, I, I think of them as projects. Um, so I delegate time throughout the week, so-and-so um, days and so-and-so hours for particular projects. Are, are you using any other tools other than Slack and, and appear.in? I-N? Uh, we've... We've tried a, a number of tools. Um, I'm on Trello for for Monograph. Uh, we've tried Asana. Um, we're heavy, heavy. All my projects are heavily based in Google Docs. Um, so all of our documentations, all the spreadsheets, um, everything is on, is on Google Docs. Of course, we use Dropbox for anything that's not that's not a doc or Excel based file. Um, and, and so. 
you said you just are you just starting with Trello with Monograph? Yes. And uh, how do you like that so far? I like it. I like it. I think it's good for it's more like a personal to-do list and to-do list for uh, company-wide items. Uh, it's not so as efficient as a communication tool. I think Slack is still extraordinarily better. Yes. As a way of uh, prioritizing, monitoring, and tracking things that need to be done, things that have been done, uh, Trello is really good. Right, the project management part of it, not necessarily the communication part of it, but the, but the tracking of the project. Uh, and what needs to be done and who needs to do it. Uh, Trello mm-hmm. is a great tool for that. I'm finding a lot of uh, the community in Ar- at Entree Architect, both inside and outside Entree Architect Academy, um, are, are experimenting and starting to move towards Trello for project management. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great tool. And I, I've tried Asana as well. I didn't like Asana as much. Uh, I think Trello, I like, I like Trello's interface uh, with, the, with the cards. It's very easy to use and easy to understand. Yeah, simplicity is the key. Um, Asana is just there's too many bells and whistles. Exactly. Yep. Um, not not appropriate for for a design profession. Uh, much more for uh, a programming software company or a finance company that needs all the bells and whistles. Yeah, yeah. And I use um, for my 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 own personal to do list. I use Nosby, which is uh, is a great tool for. Uh, putting together lists and prioritizing them and and it that's could be a full project management tool as well but i just use it for my own personal list it works really well so um robert this has been a great conversation you've uh, you've shared a lot of knowledge here i appreciate you uh for uh, for coming here and talking about what you're doing and how you're doing it sharing some of your knowledge um your the corner of the internet for you is sectioncut.com and monograph.io uh, and the, if if people want to go visit Big Fluffy, it's bigfluffy.io and Dixon and Mo with an E. So it's Dixon spelled out and Mo uh, dot com. Uh, is there is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up here? Um, I I don't know if I'm I'm quite classified as myself as successful yet, but I would I would put put a prompt to everyone to to try because I. This, this is a personal belief of mine. Like, if I don't try, there's a 100% guarantee that nothing will ever succeed. Uh, where if you do try, even if it's 1%, it's better than zero. Um, so may, maybe I've been trying too many things. But, uh, say, keep your priorities straight uh, and work on things that are, you know, just a few steps ahead of you. Yeah, only time will tell. So far, it looks pretty good from my, my, uh, my vantage point. So thanks for sharing your knowledge here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Is there any place that um, is there any place you want people to connect with you? Your email or or Twitter or anything like that? Uh, my current top priority these days is Monograph. So the easiest way to reach me is Monograph at Robert at Monograph.io. Okay, so Robert at Monograph.io. Okay, I just wanted to catch that before we before we wrapped up. Thanks for coming today. Thank you, Mark. Complete show notes with links to everything Robert and I shared today on the podcast and a direct link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 133. Do you want to be profitable? Well, we can help you with that. Just go download our free three-module course, Profit for Small Firm Architects. Try it. 
just visit entrearchitect.com slash free course. My name is Mark R. LePage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. 
gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.